You're listening to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. The development podcast that walks you through the long journey of turning your love for basketball into next level success. Helping you enhance your skills physically, mentally, and emotionally to become the best player you can be. Helping families make decisions about this long, arduous journey. Hearing valuable stories from family successes and failures during this exciting but uncertain time. Hi, we're your hosts, Daryl Adams and Rick Spence. In today's episode, we take a look at the commitment of the summertime and what makes it so special for intensifying training and setting goals. Be sure to subscribe to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. I want to remind you to check out Rhythm Dribble on social media. Like us, follow us, and leave a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send me your questions to CoachD at RhythmDribble.com, and I'll get to them later in this show or on future broadcasts. Summertime has always been an important time for basketball players, especially for developing basketball players. I think that it's a time where they get to add pieces to their basketball game. This is today's topic, and I just want to dive in and kind of get a perspective of the parent and the trainer. And as we move through this conversation, I'd like to kind of wear both hats this time and kind of reminisce about some times and what the summer's meant for us. Uh, I'll let Spence take a crack at it like typically. Spence, just kind of go over some of the priorities and some of the preferences that the summertime brings year in and year out. Uh, that's yeah, that's easy. Um, for me, um, it's one word that that pops into my mind: uncomfortable. Right. Um, I want the summers to be uncomfortable in terms of basketball, and and what does that mean? There's a that's a, it's it's a vague statement. I'm saying that I need them to be pushed to the limits. They can't be comfortable. They need to do things they're not comfortable with, so they can become better at them for when it's really time. The, the summertime is a time for growth. The biggest thing is that, of course, I, I see them play like during the year f- for the boys. And so, I, of course, I notice deficits. And I, I'll, I'll talk with you about them. Uh, I'll talk with their mom about them. But in the summer is, is really the time to work on the deficit. So that's the, that's the first thing that jumps out. Before anything, we've got to work on the things we struggle with because clearly that's happening in the context of the game and I want things to I want them to have some success right I believe early success breeds confidence which bleeds into the game overall so from the 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 first thing is uncomfortable and work on some deficits and that's where the uncomfortability comes let me interrupt let me let me ask this you go through the entire school year Mm -hmm. put me in a parent's mind school is ending are you thinking that you can't wait till the last day of school so that you can get to these things? Yeah, so I don't want to give up the impression that school isn't important, but yes, um, can't wait. Why is that? Because, again, as I mentioned um, just previously, we can get to deficits, but we also got time to, to, to add some things to our game. And so the biggest thing is that with school not being there, we can now get in maybe two-a-day workouts uh, because I guess we haven't spoke about this on, on mic, but body work is so important, right? So we are able to 
start that body work. We can get a workout in in the morning, but then we can still, they can go off and kind of do some things, and then we'll come back and get a, a second workout in the afternoon. So certainly the once school is out, we can we can definitely ramp things up and turn it up and start to kind of make some progress. If I can put on my parent hat, I remember with the boys, my own sons, I did look forward to the summer times just merely because I think I think it's what you said. It's an opportunity to prepare them at another level. So I know exactly what you're talking about. My question is, do you think that kids go into the summertime as one person and then emerge at the end of the summer potentially as someone else? If you did what you were supposed to do, certainly. And you got to remember, I'm a proponent of playing, right? So they're also playing at the same time. So it's filled with a lot of growth opportunities. They're able to be in an uncomfortable spots there's that word again they're on the court against better competition so we have that but then we're also working on deficits and then we're adding pieces to the game so there's a bunch of opportunity if you do it right and if they're working hard then they've got to come out of the summer a different person a different player where, where do you think some parents go wrong that they just play and that they don't work on anything else um they, they miss the opportunity to work they they missed the opportunity to to recognize that some parents kind of say that you did have a successful AAU or club I'm using air quotes here but uh AAU season then yeah my son's good or he's tired or he needs a break things of that nature sometimes could be a hindrance to the growth process I thought that in the summertime I could convince kids that they could think of themselves differently I felt like if I could get in enough reps, then I could help children to believe in themselves at a whole nother level. Yeah, I think some of that belief comes with success, um, but with reps as well. But success, and even if that's maybe accomplishing something inside of your gym that they hadn't been able to do during the school year, right? Because now they have more time and more reps at it. They'll see some success in that, and that breeds confidence. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that the down part about the summertime was that so many parents had the opportunity to transition their children, that this is it. This is the time that we're talking about. And so many families don't seize the moment. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and it's not not what a trainer wants to hear, but maybe kind of life gets in the way or they kind of have things maybe they always go to Myrtle Beach or they always go to Florida they always take a vacation whatever they so that kind of pulls them out of the gym which will make maybe could set them back I think it just depends on how serious you are about the development of the child right what do you say to the parent who thinks that the family time and the vacations are necessary and they schedule them back in January right and so I, I guess I mean, I could kind of fall in this boat if you've listened to the previous episodes, but what I do ensure is, and if they were here, they would tell you is that even while we're there, we're still working, right? Because we're not, um, I guess, if you're if you're going to Florida or to Disney, you're not, you're not at the park all day. So early in the morning, we typically kind of get up in the morning and we'll go to the court. Um, there's always a court nearby. You can find a court. All you got to do is pull up Google Maps. Um, there's always a park. You just grab a couple of balls, 
from um, Walmart, Target, whatever the case may be. So we continuously work. And is it the intensity in which we work when we're back here? No, but it's something. Of course, we're going to get some shots up. We're going to um, handle the ball a little bit. So we continuously work even while we're there. Let's do this. I'm going to give you a schedule. Remember, my summer was important with, with the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the guys that, that first group of guys that, that came through the program. I'm going to give you a schedule. And I want you to kind of tell me, is this obsessive? Is this something that you see parents diving into? Let's see where we end up with this. You wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You have to run hills. You're in the gym by 7. Okay. Uh, you have weights. And you have shooting. And that usually lasts from about 7 till about 11. So we've already put in 6 hours of work. Yeah, I don't want to play with the math. All right. You're not working 6 straight hours. Okay. Right? There's transition time. But... But we work. Certainly. I don't want that to be to be mistaken. So after the 11 o'clock shoot, it's just form shoots, just get some shots up. Um, pretty intense regimen. But at 11 o'clock, we go and eat. We are in the swimming pool. We are in the... Okay. Um, and we're there for a while. How many days a week is this? This is four days a week. This is Monday through Thursday. Okay. All right, Saturday and Sunday, you're in for light work, but you're in. Friday, you're off. Okay. All right, and if something happened during the week, then you make it up on that day there. All right, so we're you've got me to 11 o'clock. Right. right. Uh, once you get out of the uh, transitioning pools from heat to cold, right, once you've been in the sauna, some days on a massage, some days in a yoga class, some days in a stretching routine. What age are we talking about for the boys? Because this is important as well. We're talking we're middle schoolers at this point. Middle school? Okay. Right? You're home. Rest and recovery. You're not answering to me until 9 o'clock that night. You're back in the gym. Right? Second workout. You're there from about 9 till 11. And you're home uh, preparing for the next day's work. And this was day after day after day, Monday through Thursday week after week until we're disrupted by or we're interrupted excuse me by nationals or a, a weekend tournament it just so happens that so did they play a because where does practice fit into this because if, if they are they playing aau at this time they're playing aau okay um so so but i guess practice probably like around four o'clock five o'clock no practice six thirty seven o'clock okay so right? i guess it's not that they've they I get it. I get it. My question to you is, is it obsessive? Is it too much? Is it too little? What's, what's your thoughts there? <laughs> well, I can. I remember can, you're speaking for parents here. Well, I can eliminate one off the bat, and it ain't too little. Okay. Um, I don't want to call it. It's lightweight obsessive, I could say. Um, it feels like a lot. It feels like a lot just from as I to digest it the first time and maybe um but again that's with most things that you kind of present me in terms of in in terms of this uh in terms of this pathway for them but I can say um you asked me in terms of most parents and in their thoughts and I can say that 
ninety percent of the parents aren't doing this. I can Nine say, out of ten will say no. Heck no, I'm not doing that. Certainly, what they, part they, of it? What part may, of it are they not doing? They may do it for one week or two weeks. It's it's because it's it's something new and it's exciting. It's week three where they start to fall off. Now you only get them twice a week. Um, so you were a school teacher, um, correct? Yes. So that's um, because, again, I, I've lived a portion of the schedule. And I can say that to get up at 5 a.m. And so that means as a parent, I've got to get up around 4, 4.20 to kind of get them up and then get them over to the facility. And then unless I'm dropping them off and then coming back, I've got to prepare for my work day as well, typically, um, unless I'm a, um, a parent who has off in the summer or has extreme flexibility. So I, I drop them off, and then I've got to come grab them back at 11, or I've got to be with them throughout that day and get to work around noon, which probably isn't going to work. So, so that's probably the part that's probably the most uncomfortable is having to fit that around your schedule, but then consistently get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and then we still got to come back to the facilities at 9 p.m. that night so we're not getting home they're not getting into bed we're not getting into bed to around midnight 11 30 midnight so then we're back up at four o'clock so especially for a parent i've had four hours of sleep they've of course they've had a downtime in the meantime they wouldn't they've recharged their batteries it could be a lot. It sounds like a lot. Let me, let me ask this. Going into the summer, I thought that you said that parents understood that this was the time for change. So let me, I understand so it. So let I me don't... put in perspective that do parents really want this major overhaul of their child as an athlete or as a basketball player in this particular instance? Yes. Physically? Yes. And mentally? Yes. Right? Do they want to... Have a child that looks totally different at the end of the summer than they did going into the summer. Would those nine out of ten parents be able to articulate that that is what they're looking for going into summer? Yes, that's what they're going to say. However, can they commit to that schedule? And I'm going to say no. Yes, they would like the results of it. Everybody wants to go to the NBA, but do you want to put in the work to actually get there? So... Yes, like I said, for the first two weeks, it's exciting. It's new. We're going to get up. Let's go get after it. What about children's mentality? What are they thinking? Mm, they're probably done by week one. Um, we're dragging them up. They're, it's supposed to be the, the time with their friends. Because, of course, they have friends who aren't. Maybe they're playing a sport. Maybe they aren't. But they aren't working like they're working. So they want to kind of hop on a PlayStation with them. They want to go hang out with them. They want to go do whatever it is they do in um at the teenage years nowadays but let me ask this then do they feed off of the parents apprehension certainly as to the times and the commitment levels yeah so if i have a problem and um, my wife is good about this as well we don't bring it up in front of them we don't show any wavering like let's get up and let's go and it's definitive we got to get up in the morning i'll wake you up so it's, it's definitive. Um, never any wavering when dealing with them because they will certainly pick up on it and then you'll be playing good cop, bad cop in terms of whomever they felt was the easier target in terms of what they want to do. Right, got it. I get it. 
I just think maybe culture wins here. Okay. And it sounds like you understand it as well. That you get around like people with like minds who are willing to sacrifice at the highest level. And it seems like this group carries each other over the threshold. So it seems like the advice would be is to find people who aren't going to make excuses or find that one out of 10 people and collaborate with them. Right. right? And plan to be around them so that you guys can carry each other. Because I just think back for the kids, they were always together. Good gosh. And so how many of it? So you mentioned um, the kids. So this group, how many kids was it during your time? that were kind of committed to this type of schedule. I had a relationship with the parents and the parents, it just got to the point to where the parents said, look, you take over for me. So how many was it though? It probably was five, okay. five or six. And yes, we had our moments where it was rough, but sooner or later, it's just smooth sailing, right? They're up, they're ready. The complaining is gone, right? Seems like you just get used to it, and then it's just easy sailing. Because I'll tell you what, by the time Nationals hit in July, and they're playing at a high level, then everybody all of a sudden recognizes that it may have been worth it. Certainly. Right? Or when they get this college scholarship, people look back who was close to the situation and said, these guys sacrificed much. Right. And at the end of the day, that they deserve what they've received. The problem is that the nine out of 10 may be striving for the same things and they might not be willing to put forth the same effort. That's all I'm saying. And that's difficult to stomach. Yeah. It just seems like we're losing from the beginning. Right. If that's the attitude. But is that's that's one approach at it. Right. Like, so is it your belief that you can't get it done any other way? No. That's what I'm saying. So, like, you can't take a regular athlete and have them doing extraordinary things by doing a bunch of ordinary things. It's not going to work. Right? This is going to take an extreme sacrifice. Because my next question to you, and I, I'm more qualified to answer it, but, I, but do trainers have this attitude as well? Not what's all the, of them. What's their attitude from a parent's perspective? What, what's the trainer's attitude about this? I don't. Not all of them, right? Uh, and typically, you don't have a trainer who's willing to spend that amount of time with your child. That's first and foremost, right? Because they they may have numerous clients, and and so that's uh. I can certainly say not all trainers have this mindset, and if I do, it, it's got to be with a particular set of uh, of individuals, and then. So if, if you're working from 5 to, I think you got home around 1 p.m., you said. So that's that's five clients. If that's the extent of my um, my client base, then sure, that works. But when do I have time to get to my other clients, right? Because they've got to work, maybe not to that level. But I would like to say we're, we're dealing with people who've, who've been with you for a while. So they kind of have some some fundamentals and some skill sets. Some, it's, it's not, they're not in the infancy mode. Yeah. And so what happens to those individuals? When do they get their work? Oh, very clearly. I think that you just summed it up and you brought great clarity to this conversation that 
one out of 10 parents are willing to enlist in this level of work. Yes. A small percentage of trainees are willing to enlist in this level of work. Mm -hmm. Well, that's simple. I may have had all of the guys that were willing to get it done. And if there was another person at that level, then somehow they migrated themselves into the group. I think people have a misnomer about group training. Group training is the identifying grounds. It's the place you go to find special people who are willing to put in special time. And those people, once identified, are tapped on their shoulder Mm -hmm. and they're asked to go to another room. And if their parents respond in the other room, then they are a part of the fraternity. And that fraternity is just merely the people who are willing to stop at nothing to reach the goal, to reach the highest limit. These are the standout kids. These are the kids who are operating at another level. And I think it's it's a natural order that these guys are identified. And because they're identified as people who are willing to put in extraordinary effort, seems like the universe responds to them and finds a special place, a special nook for them to exist. And that's not just the case with my first group. I noticed this throughout the history of Rhythm Dribble. There's always a group who's willing to do it. There's always a group that's willing to do it, and the trainer, and I don't speak for myself, I speak for every trainer. Okay. If a family is willing to invest in them in terms of time, in terms of finances, in terms of appreciation, then the trainer is going to invest their time into their child. I, I get it. I get it. So it, it just dawned on me. The the person who actually lacks the time is you as the trainer. Because Absolutely. If I, yes. Um, as I heard you speak, and then I, I thought about the scenario, you're up at 5 a.m. initially or 6 or 7, um, if you go by my account. But you're up at 5 a.m. to to do the initial training. And then that training runs to around 11 a.m. or 9 o'clock, whatever the case may be. And then you've got to make time for the other individuals, right? Because these were the extraordinary kids you were working with initially, but there's a group of kids who who maybe haven't committed fully. They're not coming in at 5 a.m. They're still looking to get some level of training, right? We've got to find some time for them. So I would imagine you work with those individuals and then you come back in the nighttime working with the extraordinary kids again, that's got to be a huge burden on you and the family as a trainer. Absolutely. Now you see the life of a trainer. Yeah, that that's huge. I, I've got to take time out to give your wife a pat on the back just for being so committed. I, I guess the wives of trainers are also committed to the process. Yeah, Joe is extremely supportive and I guess committed to the whole basketball process, support your husband thing. Um, I really couldn't imagine pulling this thing off without her. Listeners have to remember, we have three little girls at the house, and she pulls off the lion's share of that load. So I'm blessed, and I certainly appreciate her. As for Rhythm Dribble, from the onset, the focus has been results. And I just didn't understand how I was going to arrive at results without putting in an absorbent amount of time and energy. So my schedule is indicative of me trying to push kids to a place and that place be as close to their goals as possible. With that said, I recognize that there are two paths in this thing. 
while Rhythm Dribble can accommodate this high achiever and this highly committed family, we are no less committed to this recreational client who comes in and they want to learn the skills that can make them a better basketball player, make them a better person, get them in some semblance of shape, clear their mind, create some discipline for themselves. Or if they're just coming in for the mentorship part of it, the camaraderie part of it. Everyone's not trying to go to the NBA. And so in terms of those those kids who aren't getting up at 5 a.m., the ones who are just who are just trying to do the work during the day, during the normal hours, who the parents can't get them there at five, get them back at nine and be there all day. What do their summers look like? Oh, that's easy. Camps, one-on-ones, small groups, uh, independent work. Us trainers, we have normal schedules for those families who look to access normal coursework or normal work times. You know, I feel like it just needs to be said that I'm not judging families. They're not judged by me. The vast majority of people have made it in basketball to the highest levels without even knowing me. I've never talked to them. My job is just to attempt to get the percentages of people who don't make it in basketball to bring that percentage up, to do my little small part. Being responsive to families who are looking to bring their child to a new place who are looking to give their child a mental edge, especially into the summertime, because let's face it, I didn't create that group that looks to access development at that extreme. Those people kind of create themselves. They create their own circumstances. They're families who are aggressive. I only support them. They're no different than me when I was dealing with my own children at their ages. Look, they recognize the need for confidence. They recognize the need for a mental edge and they'll stop at nothing to get it. So if it's not me as the trainer, they're going to find somebody that helps them get there. These families are intelligent. Okay. All right. So up to this point, you've kind of spoke about what summers look like when you were dealing with the boys who are your family. They're kind of there. They're living with you. But now you've kind of transitioned to more of a business side of things as a trainer no longer having your sons in it. So then tell me what are some of the things you look to get out of the summer for your trainees now? The summers now, I don't think that they've changed much. Okay. In terms of pure goals, there's three things that I always look for. I look for the summertime to intensify people's training regimen. I think it's a special time and we can get to things and I can get to them more often. So we have to make sure that we seize the moment in the summertime. The second thing is that we create goals for each of the trainees. That we have to make certain we emerge at the end of the summer having improved and developed in some areas. Now we don't get to develop in all of the areas. Right? I'm sure that there's this long list of things that everybody wants in their basketball game. But I think that we have to be realistic and make sure that we choose the things that are best for the player. Maybe based on the things they already do or things that are valuable and fundamental. The third thing I think that we have to make sure that we enrich our minds a bit. I think that it's important that we relate to other people's journey through books, through literature, 
through something that they say. I try to get that out of every summer for most kids. So anybody that's ever come to my camp, we usually read a book in the camp just to make certain that we understand that there are guys that have gone down the path that we would like to go down and their advice is sound. So we at least have to try to get a chance to create some semblance of a relationship with them so that they can give us some advice going down that journey. Yeah, and that doesn't seem outlandish. Now, that is an extreme or obsessive, right? Those make sense, right? Um, Because as I look at the summer for the boys, I do want to intensify things. So two workouts a day doesn't seem outlandish. Um, Again, get up early in the morning, get some work in, get some rest, um, run around a bit, and then we get a second work in sometime in the afternoon. The other thing let, is, let me ask this before you continue. Okay. Do you think the workout has to be early in the morning? Not 5 a.m. early, right? Because we got all day. I think 7 a.m. is suitable. Um, I think 7 a.m., 6 a.m., th- those are suitable. 5 goes back to the obsessive side. But I think I do want to get up before it gets extremely hot because we're probably going to be outside and getting the work in. And it's... It is important to kind of get the day started early just to kind of get it out the way. If I can, if I've knocked it out by nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock, I still have the entire day ahead of me to do whatever I want to do as a child. I've always thought that the early was important. And I thought the earlier, the better. I thought that we were trying to transition a mentality. Yeah, that's, I'm, yeah, see, the early, the significance of that is what I kind of, I think it's important to kind of get across to the listeners, right? Why it's so important that it be 5 a.m. Nobody it? else is doing it. So it provides the the commentary that helps to get them over the threshold, helps to get them through the moment. And I think the answer is if you sacrifice something for the game, then you can access the game at a whole nother level. I still think that you can get that. Everybody isn't working out at 7 a.m. I can guarantee you that. Even if it's 7, they aren't They aren't getting up and getting in at 7 o'clock. And then well, still I needed coming. to ensure that we were doing what very few people were doing. Well, right? so you did that. It was important. I wouldn't change it. Okay. Because I just think it gave the guys an edge mentally. And I think that you'll understand this as the boys get a little bit older. Huh. You try to find things that create mental challenges. Uncomfortable. Right? Make them uncomfortable a bit, as you suggested. And I think that the 5 o'clock does it. Right? It's this idea that nobody can defeat me because no one has done what I do. Certainly. Yeah, I can see that side of it. Yeah, so in terms of intensify, I believe we checked that box by just working out twice a day and when we're working out we're working out twice a day and those workouts are a lot longer than the um during the in school year workouts a lot more intense and again that's coupled with still attending practices and still maybe playing um games on the weekend but even on game days we're working where that may not happen during the school year but even on game days just because we're kind of used to getting up early and getting some work in in the morning we typically you wouldn't play games um that early in the morning so we get in and get the workout in and then the game is for them 
the workout is for the future. The game is for the for the now, for um, a small victory for them. But it's intensified because we're in there probably three times as much or three times as long we're working than we would during the school year. Do you think children find fun in this in this intensifying of training? I think that they build relationships and friends with their sparring partners because that's also important. They've got to have somebody to bump up against in the in the summer to kind of challenge them. Steel sharpens steel, we said it before. So I don't know about fun, but they build lifelong relationships. They build camaraderie with their with the trainees that are in the gym with them. And that transitions to some sort of rapport and fun, whether it's they 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 just get a familiarity with them and so they'll play the video game with them. They'll go to their birthday party. There's so is it fun? Um, that's subjective. I, if I had to guess, they would say no, but it seems like as they grow and as they they would appreciate it more as, yeah, they, as they develop more stamina, right? It it seems like there's an evolution that they begin to certainly accept it, and that seems to be the precursor to actually enjoying it. Certainly, right? So, and what they do enjoy is the they'll see the the progress. They'll see some things that they couldn't do before. So that makes that that makes it a lot more enjoyable for them. Is this summer different? <laughs> Certainly the summer's different. Um first and foremost because it started earlier. Um if there was one bright spot in this pandemic is that we were able to start that training regiment earlier than than normal. We didn't have to wait to the end of the school year because they got on they went to remote um they went to remote learning. So we were able to get to it sooner. There were no distractions. You didn't have to, um, we, we we don't have to practice right now. We don't have any games. So this summer is definitely different. Um, and then it's certainly different because gyms aren't accessible. That's probably the biggest thing. Gyms aren't accessible. So you, you've got to be creative in how you're going to now push the limit and ensure you're still getting the necessary training regimen. Yeah. So um, f- for you as a trainer, you've had to see some some changes for the summer, right? When the pandemic hit, I think it was tough. And I think we have to acknowledge that it was tough and and that this was a a disruption uh, in life as we knew it. I think that... <laughs> to say the least. First of all, it was a very serious thing. Anytime, anytime lives are lost, it helps to put other things into perspective. I think the pandemic certainly put basketball for a while in its place, right? I think it humbled basketball as a priority. And again, it allowed us trainers to dive in and become really creative in how we relate to our customers and and forced us to pivot to make sure that we could still move kids in the direction of their goal. So how do you do that for you? What was the adjustments you made as a trainer? I was in a rough place. Um, after all, I am a business owner and we were dramatically affected. But the first thing that I thought about was the kids. And I received an email soon after the pandemic hit. And it was just a customer, a mom, who was just wondering, do you have anything that the kids can do? Because I have little girls at home, so I know that it wasn't simple for parents now to have to be creative enough and have the stamina enough to 
provide schoolwork, provide entertainment, provide constructive projects for, for, for their children. And the parent reached out. And again, I didn't have an answer for her. And that kind of moved me to figure it out. And it took some time. It was not a tomorrow thing because you have to make sure that it's valuable. In moving children, I just don't think you present them with things that are thrown together and then ask them to commit 100% to it. So I had to take some time to really figure out something that was going to be positive and productive. And I'm sure other trainers had to respond in the same manner. We had to go and figure out how to offer meaningful remote training uh, that still was able to access some level of intensity and still had some level of rigor for the children. And understand that what we come up with has to be sustainable because it's going to represent the new normal, right? So I think that the pandemic has changed a lot. And I think that we trainers had to come up with some very real solutions in the, in, in, in the short term to be able to make sure that 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 customers can still move. And so that that's a good point. Um, if I can go back in terms of you saying the new normal. So you're a big proponent of group training. So what happens with that model? How do we now build those fundamentals that you kind of need that they're not ready for this one-on-one -on -one training and the intensity of that? They kind of need to get to a place. And how do I get that from the group setting that I'm used to getting when I, I can't do it with the, the new normal we're dealing with? I think many children are going to be hurt without large group training. I just think about how I've witnessed over the years kids emerge in large group i just remember how kids motivate in large group it kind of has that collaboration feel from from education and academics i know that a trainee when he first got there he couldn't do much and when you stuck him in the group it showed but i remember the evolution over the weeks where all of a sudden he's first in line because not only can he execute it but he can now explain it to somebody else. I think that there are daily victories in large group training that don't exist in a smaller setting, certainly in a one-on-one -on -one setting. I remember kids that couldn't defeat other kids and how in time that all changed. I can also remember tough training days where kids would go and put their arms around some other kids and grab them. We're not going to stop. I won't let you stop. I remember days where kids celebrated together because they all made it through. They all carried each other over the threshold. I can remember the differences in kids and how the natural ecosystem allowed for one child to pull and reach back and pull another up. I just think that with those things lost, I think that we lost some true value in the training system. And I think that as creative trainers, I think that we have to go and find an alternative. And I think that alternative rests with remote training. I think many trainers are involved in remote development. Yeah, I've seen it on, on Zoom a lot. As long as we keep fundamentals as the priority, then I think that we are headed in the right direction. I think that the large group training allowed for us to offer fundamental development and everybody buy in at a collaborated level. 
But this is the key that we have to make sure that we're doing as trainers. We have to make sure that we're evaluating kids and that we're offering a differentiated model for them to be successful. In other words, children are different. So if one kid comes in at a certain level, then it's going to be tough for him on Zoom to be expected to do the same thing that someone is doing that is at a significantly higher skill level. So as trainers, we have to make sure that we accommodate for those differences. Again, it's not simple. I think that the digital and remote world has to involve the trainee, the player, and can't inconvenience the parent. The last thing it needs to have is objectivity. They have to have a way to measure their success with every rep of what they're doing. I think that's the part of learning that's going to separate successful online trainers and unsuccessful online trainers is the child's ability to judge whether they're right or wrong within each drill. So with those things said, I think that's the criteria by which that we have to make sure that we interact with trainees, especially if they're going to be expected to perform in small spaces in the confines of their own home. I think that trainees and their families have to remain flexible. They have to understand that things are a bit different now. And in doing so, they have to avoid cutting back on the training, right? They have to make sure that they understand it's the commitment, energy, and the focus that makes a drill successful. I kind of just think back, that's the message that I send to my guys and gals all the time on our Zoom classes, is that their development is clear. However, it's a product of their diligence. It's a product of their hard work. There's no better feeling for a trainer than to see kids advance as a result of the effort that they're putting into it. So in terms of Zoom, right, and remote training, Am I, am I incorrect in assuming that that's primarily dribbling? So what about the physicality part? What about the other aspects that, that you have mentioned previously that are so important? How do I accomplish those? I think that there's going to be a little bit less of that kind of stuff. The pandemic just doesn't allow for, for the interaction of children. You put that on hold, but you watch them grow in the objective portions of training. Whatever training that they're doing, um, it can't be left up to their interpretation as to whether or not they're doing it correctly or they're doing it hard enough or they're doing it fast enough. They have to know if they're right or wrong. So is it fair to say that, there, that, we, that I can't expect the same amount of growth out of this summer than I would in, in a normal summer? No, I think that... The families that dive into the work of trainers are going to do one thing. They're going to improve with some things that they would never touch upon if they were in the gym. It's going to make their experience when they get back into the gym extremely valuable. A good example, there's some guys and girls who I remember they first started the Zoom class and they couldn't do anything. And it's just a matter of weeks before they could execute some 
some pretty complicated activity. Well, I think that's easily parlayed into drill work once they're back inside the gym. That if they never would have learned the skill, then they'd never be able to attack the drill at its highest level. So I just feel like we're going to be able in this summer with the limitations to attack some periphery things, to attack some things that lead to great nuance when they get back into the gym, things that typically may go ignored and kind of reduced as less important to the other things if we were still in the gym. So I think that parents that really dive in can still find great benefit in this summer. And again, you'll see that once they get back in the gym, you'll see the ones that really put in some time on the little things at home. Good stuff, good stuff. So I know that as I go into the summer, I have goals for the boys coming out of it. What are some of the goals that you've kind of had historically with, with, your, with your kids as well as some of the upcoming um, kids you have through the program? Jump shot. I think that the summertime provides a consistency that doesn't exist any other time of the year. I just think consistency is what makes this training thing work. Because we're in the summer, now they can get more time to work on the few things that we've chosen to develop over the summer without interruption. This is the time to distinguish themselves. And a jump shot is one of those distinguishing things. It's that transferable skill that you know when a kid can really shoot it, right? And they're the ones that's not typically on the bench too long. So I think the summertime when you can get to kids over and over, day after day after day, then you that's the time of the year that you get those things that are vitally important and they're non-negotiables, right? And a jump shot kind of is one of those things that jump into my mind. The other thing is early catch work. Right? I think that the pivot game in youth basketball is underappreciated until you get a kid who has really great feet. I just think the summertime is an opportunity to put in a warm-up, put in a 10- or 15-minute pivot regimen where when they catch the ball that they can be dynamic in the possession rather than being limited by the structure or the positioning of their footwork. A third thing that we typically worked on was physicality. Again, it's the day after day grind. It's the day after day pushing and pulling and biting and scratching. And I think that over the days of the summertime, by the time July comes and they're ready to get physical, right? When somebody touches them, they don't even recognize it. Where some people look for a foul, Guys that have gone through a great physical regimen, they don't look for it at all. It doesn't matter to them. They're willing to get up underneath somebody just merely because that's all they know. So by the end of the summer, we're able to put in two or three things that matter. And I think that we're able to see those things come July by the time we get to a national competition. Yeah, I know. Oftentimes we're at opposite ends of the spectrum, but I this one I could say we're probably aligned in our thinking. Um, as I mentioned in, in prior episodes, um, I, be, I wholly believe in jump shot. I don't think, um, I don't think you were implying this, but I can, I, I want to be clear that I don't believe you can get a jump shot in one summer. So yes, we can start to work on the fundamentals, make sure we get our thumb out the shot, things like that. Um, but I don't, I don't want the, the listeners to think that 
I can leave in, in, in April or May without a jump shot and come back Steph Curry. Um, but yes, you can start building those foundations. You could definitely should be working on the jump shot and then keep it consistent. Secondly, in terms of the early work action, um, that, that's, that's more your, uh, <laughs> that's where I kind of, my, my knowledge may drop off in terms of the training aspect of it. And so that's why I kind of defer to you and why the boys come to you, um, frankly, to be honest. And, um, and then finally, you mentioned physicality. And I know coming off of COVID, it's probably a little, um, I guess, a little touchy for people. But um, I believe by the end of the summer, we'll be good to go. And so that they can hit those goals in terms of physicality. It definitely makes sense. Those three items, it's really nothing to dispute there. I'm wholly on board with what you're preaching. So as trainees, when we hear the goals that you guys have set for yourselves, right, we want to make sure that they're realistic. That jumps into our mind first, right? It's tough to hear that I'm going to be dunking by August, right, <laughs> when you're not touching the net. It's tough to hear that you're presenting us with a goal that doesn't have any numbers associated with it. Right? I think quantification of a goal is vitally important. So I remember it was a standard for us to, we had to make eight out of 10 jump shots with no one standing in front of you. And you had to be able to do this over five spots. Well, that's quantifiable, man. You're going to know, it's objective. You're going to know whether or not you got it accomplished. And we spent a lot of time at that. That was the quiz, right? That was the proof of whether or not I'm getting better at shooting it, right? So I think that when you can reduce your goals to measurability, when you can reduce your goals to whether or not they're realistic, something that you can pull off, whether or not those goals are quantifiable, I think that you've gotten yourself closer to achieving those goals. And don't tell me a bunch of times that you are after a goal, I can really just sit back and watch you. I can watch you perform. I can watch you practice. And when I do, there should be some level of evidence that you are aspiring to a particular goal. I just think goals improve engagement. So don't try to do this thing without setting goals. Don't set too many of them. The overall basketball development can be overwhelming. Um, trying to change everything is going to be really, really difficult. I just imagine eating your, your favorite grandma's uh, fresh-baked pie all at one time, stuffing the entire pie in your mouth. Um, it's just difficult and overwhelming. I just think that we've grown accustomed to cutting it into pieces and enjoying one piece at a time. We ought to approach basketball and all that it has to teach us in pieces. And I just think the summertime is the perfect time to choose which pieces that we're going to engage and develop. We have a much more realistic chance of getting there if we look at it that way. So now that we've kind of discussed the goals, I know earlier in the episode you spoke about within the camps, they typically read a book. So can you go a little bit more into that in terms of what's the significance of that and why it's so important? I just think reading a good book is taking a journey. Your, your imagination is called into play. Uh, your awareness. When you're aware, I just think you have options. 
if we dive into another person's journey, then I just think we're able to come away with evidence or justifications of our own. Last summer, we read the, the Kobe Bryant, the mama mentality in camp. The kids began to really understand that what I was writing on the chalkboard day in and day out before we read the book kind of started to make sense because Kobe was able to quote many of the things that I was saying as well. Kobe was able to provide proof of many of the things that I was saying. And we'd walk away from this thing saying on page 122, Kobe talked about this. On another page, he talked about this. So when you walk away and you close the book at the end of the summer, you've talked about commitment. You've talked about footwork. You've talked about leadership. You've talked about hard work. Those are the very messages that are vitally important if they're ever going to make it in the sport. So I just think that if we can dive in, it's kind of like bringing Kobe into the room. And it's just another way to try to fit in a valuable message into their minds. So I think that reading is vitally important, especially I remember the boys coming up and we used to read in the summer times and I used to read to them. And you can imagine a bunch of teenagers sitting up uh, listening to a good basketball book. But you started to hear within the book. I remember reading The, the Miracle of St. Anthony's. Great book. Great book. I just remember the boys sitting there and for a time they were listening and they were hearing Bobby Hurley when he was in the sixth grade saying he was going to be the all time leading assist man for the Boston Celtics. They heard me say that Bobby Hurley hung a picture over his bed or submitted it to his teacher that he was going to be the all time leading assist man for the Boston Celtics. The kind of impact that that has on kids is that they begin to start writing their own legacy and they start to hang it above their bed. If you read it enough or you read enough messages to them, sooner or later something is going to sink in. And I just think that if we can get kids to read, certainly as a mother-son thing or a father-daughter, father-son thing, right? And then we have discussions about this book. I think we return to a place where kids involve their imagination. They begin to dream clearer. They begin to have more clarity about life itself. They begin to strive differently. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I never thought about that portion, um, which is probably why you're the trainer and I'm not, right? Um, the books definitely provide insight and, and can be thought-provoking for the child. I guess in closing, I could say that um, I'm really excited for the summer as I always am, um, hopefully all the players, um, my sons included, as well as the other individuals training as I kind of have a, a kinsmanship with them as well, because I'm in the, I'm in the gym a lot that I hope they emerge from this, uh, a totally different player, maximize the time that we do have. Um, there's always a saying, um, that there's a saying, make lemons out of lemonade. I mean, hope. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully um, there's a saying you can make um, lemonade out of lemons that they that they kind of maximize this time that we have alone and, and not and undistracted and they can get some some true work in and emerge that true player that every parent wants to see coming out of that summer. It's just depending on are they willing to, to put in that work as you mentioned. 
in closing, I'm reminded of the resiliency of a country, the responsibility of parents, the importance and priority of children as we move through this pandemic and phase ourselves back into a normal life. I'm also reminded of how special the summertime is and how on one end of the spectrum, there's a need for fun and a recharge of the battery to gear us back up for the academic year. But I also am in touch with the opportunity that the summertime presents us. Summertime is special because of its consistency. You can do whatever you want to do over and over and over at whatever level you want to. And this can springboard you to achieving any of the goals that you have in life surrounding basketball or anything else in the world. You understand what my commitment is now. I thought Spence did a good job in this podcast episode of unraveling the life of a, of a trainer. You see what my commitment level is. Couple that with the understanding that I think all children have the potential to achieve greatness. But in my experience, three things consistently get in the way. One, parents not knowing. Again, it's not to blame. I know this parenting thing is hard. But sometimes parents don't understand what they don't understand, right? What's being missed, right? Because somebody didn't identify it to them. The second thing is, unfortunately, is parents' unwillingness. Some parents face the issue of, I'll do anything for my child as long as it's convenient. We've got to get rid of that way of thinking. Sometimes the best things for them are going to involve everyone in that household being inconvenienced. And I think the last thing that kids and us as adults we face is distractions. If we could somehow surmount these few things, then we'd all be just a little bit closer to our goals. I leave here with just a bit of advice. As it relates to kids in basketball, use the summertime to set a goal and don't take no for an answer. Become a little bit more uncomfortable yourselves as parents in trying to deliver the things that the child needs in order to get there. With that said, I meet families of all kinds all the time, and I appreciate and learn something from all of them. Let's continue to partner in teaching children life lessons through sports. Good luck and have a great summer. Thanks for tuning in. Also, be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to leave a comment. Let us continue to evolve this product so we can meet the exact needs of trainees, families, coaches, and trainers. Again, I'm your host, Daryl Adams. You've been listening to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. I look forward to talking to you guys next episode.